There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show here on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I am your host, Tim McKernan, and we are in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. On Mondays, we release interviews. On Thursdays, we release questions from the audience. And questions from the audience, as I've been saying from the very beginning, surprisingly gets a huge number of downloads. And I enjoy doing questions from the audience. Some people have said, well, hey, where's the Plowhawk? Where's Iggy? The Plowhawk now operates... Uh, the board for 590 The Fan KFNS uh, up until noon. And so we record these right after the Ryan Kelly morning after. And therefore, uh, the Plowhawk's not able to participate. And so I'm just doing them Han Solo because uh, I don't want to put Iggy in here without the Plowhawk and, and have just me and Iggy going back and forth. But perhaps if the day comes, and it may, that we're doing 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. on 590 The Fan, and essentially it'll just be like one giant question from the audience because the three of us will be together. So to answer your question on uh, Iggy and the Plowhawk, that is the reason why it has just been me, Han Solo. And a lot of these questions are specific, and then I look over and I see the Plowhawk and Iggy, and they're either going through their phones or they're just kind of nodding, and it puts them in a weird spot anyway. But the Plowhawk is on the board until high noon, and so uh, that is the uh, the reason. We're in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. That's the reason for the show existing, because Ryan Kelly sponsors. And if you are in the market to buy a home or refinance, all you have to do is go to the HomeLoanExpert.com, and five minutes can save you $500. Why not find out if Ryan Kelly can do that for you? There's a good chance he can. Enter your information at the HomeLoanExpert.com. Compare what the refinance payment would be for you. You might just save a whole lot of money. TheHomeLoanExpert.com. Ryan Kelly has seen his business grow exponentially, not just in St. Louis, but throughout the region. And that's because of the customer service. But I also think people can tell his enthusiasm for what he does professionally, but his philanthropic spirit uh, personally, I think that's endearing. And not only does he spend his money on charity, but he spends his time. And whether that be at Cardinal Glennon or elsewhere, that is the kind of guy you're doing business with on the biggest investment of your life, your home. Ryan Kelly, online at thehomeloanexpert.com. That's thehomeloanexpert.com, the sponsor of our studios here on questions from the audience. So let's get it started. You can always submit questions by emailing me at tmckernan at insidestl.com. They can be current topics. They can be past topics. I will attempt to answer them all, assuming the topics make my synapses fire. And therefore, I think I'll be able to give you an answer that will either inform or entertain. That is the goal with questions from the audience. So we'll start with this one. Tim, I thoroughly enjoy the Tim McKernan show and all of the guests you're able to interview. I know you have mentioned on the show that the guests are the ones who can make or break the interview. However, the Mulder interview was one of my favorites yet. I loved your line of questioning, focusing on golf and revealing Mulder's golf insights. Excellent job, sir. But while I'm here, I just wanted to ask a question for a future QFTA segment. What is the coolest moment you've been able to experience 
because of your media credentials or from being a media member? Uh, that is from Zachary. Uh, it's a very good question. Um, and I say it's a very good question because there's not an instant answer. And then I think the answer I might give would be one that after like 10 minutes or maybe after a day or after I go back and listen, go, oh, well, that was, that was, you know, that was interesting, but how do I forget this? So I think of a couple from a local perspective that stand out. Just this is, this is kind of the holy shit moment for me at the start of my career when I had been working in Little Rock and television, that was my first television gig, leaving the University of Missouri. And I truly was. I was covering ECHL hockey. The Arkansas Riverblades were in the ECHL and an arena team, arena football in Little Rock is 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 recent, and by as recent, I mean recent then, as the first or second week of March. And by the middle of April, I was flying on the Blues Charter with Chris Pronger, Al McInnes, uh, and the President's Trophy winning St. Louis Blues in 2000 to San Jose for games three and four of the first round of the playoffs, which unfortunately the Blues lost. But for a 23-year-old to be able to do that, uh, I still still look back. It's been 18 years, and I still look back and go, that, that, I still, in that moment, I'm just like, that was an incredible experience. I was, and I'm so grateful for it uh, because is, you're just, you're just so lucky because, because really when it gets down to it, I mean, I guess some people are quote better at this stuff than others, but still the, the gap is so small. In other words, so many other people could do it. You're just lucky. I just feel lucky. And the goal was always to work in my hometown. And so to be able to do that uh, and experience that uh, was incredible, but the moment that it drove it home, I mean, I'd already been hired and I'd already been working, was when I'm on that plane, you know, a charter plane. Uh, I had never been to California, and I'm just watching Chris Pronger, Al McKinnis, Pierre Turgeon, you know, uh, walking onto the plane to go back to their seats. Uh, I'm, for whatever reason, in the front row of the business class, uh, so I'm right behind Joel Quinville and Larry Plow and Mark Sauer. And I'm just like, this is, how did I get here? Um, so those are the kinds of moments when I think of your question, I think of, um, I, I get from a fan covering something standpoint, uh, the Cardinals in the World Series, you would think would be in, it was 2004, because they hadn't been in the World Series in 17 years. But it was just it, th- that whole situation, and you'll hear guys who were on that team talk about it. It was so messed up for so many reasons, which is so unfortunate because I think most people, depends on your age, but most people will say the 2004 Cardinals were the best team that they had seen. You know, maybe some would say 85, maybe some people, you know, who were in their 60s, 70s would say, you know, one of the teams in the 60s. I don't know, you know. Uh, but the 2004 team certainly is is near the top of the list. If it's not at the top of the list, and I think they won the pennant on Thursday night against the Astros and then arrived in Boston late Friday afternoon. It was freezing and it was raining, but they had to go to Fenway Park just for an appearance. 
Uh, and then there was something going on where they couldn't stay in downtown Boston. They had to stay, I think it was called Quincy, Massachusetts, and they were in some weird hotel. And and it screwed up their whole routine. I'm not saying that's the reason they won or lost the World Series. I'm just saying the whole thing, for as great as that season was and as great as that NL- NLCS was with the Astros, you had Edmonds' home run in Game 6 and, and the catch in Game 7 and Rollins' home run off of Clemens in Game 7, all of that. As great of all that was, it just ended with a fizzle, not just because of the way that they played and never having a lead in that series, but because it just the, the World Series was not worthy of the greatness of that team. Now, here we are 14 years removed, and it's not like people uh, piss on the 2004 Cardinals because of the World Series. If anything, their mystique is greater because it's like, man, how great were they? But how bad was that World Series performance? Um, but I guess covering that and and being in the clubhouse when they won the pennant stand out to me. And I remember talking to Edmonds after he hit that home run in game six and saying to him, do you realize that what you just did, you know, at that point a half hour ago, you're going to see the rest of your life. And we're all, if we're in this market, going to see the rest of our lives. It's one of those moments. And so to be witness, to bear witness to something that you know is historic, but then also uh, have a conversation with the person who performed that history. Because for me, I can picture Ozzie Smith's home run, Jack Clark's home run, um, you know, uh, Glenn Brummer stealing home. If you want to go back to 82, Ozzie Smith's flips. Uh, you can picture these historic moments, but you're a kid at the time, and then you're witnessing and covering and talking to somebody who just did that. Uh, that stood out to me in the happiness in the community and how people are flooding the streets uh, and celebrating still in Bush Stadium, that was an incredibly, uh, it was a powerful moment. Covering the Rams in the Super Bowl, there was only one Super Bowl I covered because I got here a couple months after the one in 2000. That was a downer uh, in the sense that I remember showing up to New Orleans and one of the most, still, I, I almost feel like like I'm recalling it incorrectly, but I've talked with other people who were there and they're like, yeah, that was that the Superdome was surrounded by barbed wire and there were rocket launchers uh, positioned around the Superdome. And it in, and I've, I've never been to third world countries, but as you walked up for what is as American as it gets, what is, is synonymous with American culture, the Super Bowl, you have, because you're four or five months removed from September 11th, uh, the building, you know, is is treated like it's a war zone because there was fear of an attack. And that combined, of course, with the actual game, I just I just didn't feel like it lived up to it. And I whereas, you know, like Ricky Prohl's catch against the Buccaneers, it was it was an atmosphere. The Super Bowl, at least that one, and it was obviously a great game, short end of the stick for St. Louis sports fans, it just felt kind of antiseptic to me. Uh it's real corporate it's people there, not because they care about the game, but because they want to be able to say they were there. And that was before taking pictures on your phone. So I can't imagine what the attention whoring's like now. Uh, and hey, I mean, I, listen, if, if you're going there and you're just able to enjoy it, that's one thing. But I was covering it. And uh, and so you're working, but you just didn't, it just didn't feel like this. It didn't, I don't know, it didn't feel like, I remember this before the game even. Uh, and if anything, I think because I was covering it, the emotion of how devastating it was for people back in St. Louis uh, was somewhat sucked out of it because when Vinatieri kicked that field goal, we had already had to go downstairs 
and we were standing underneath the Superdome, and by that I mean under the stands, so on that first level, I, I was surrounded by, I don't know, I would think hundreds of reporters all watching that happen on TV, and since the Patriots were the huge underdogs, amazing to say, uh, but that was the start of their dynasty that night, uh, everybody was cheering for the Patriots. Uh, and so when Vinatieri's ball went through, and for whatever reason the clock just kept running, even though the Rams should have at least gotten another kickoff return, uh, people were cheering. Now we weren't. It's the only time I've seen people cry in an NFL locker room. That was the only time. So I've seen baseball players do it. I've seen hockey players do it quite a bit. Certainly after NCAA tournament games, seen Missouri players do it, but that was the only time. Uh, and, and but it was more shock in the Rams locker room that night. Um, I guess one that would be away from the cameras and away from the studios would be, uh, I think this was May of 2000 um, when Bobby Knight was going through uh, what wound up being the end of his tenure at Indiana University and me not knowing any better, uh, saw that he was at the game. I was anchoring on a Saturday night. And I went over to Bush Stadium following my sports cast. The game was an in extra innings. And I'm like, I'm going to interview Bobby Knight. I'm going to have the interview that everybody wants. Of course, having my head completely up my ass, uh, thinking that he would do the interview. And uh, he comes walking up the steps. He sees me with the microphone and he looks at me. And he didn't do it mean-spiritedly. He just he just like, wait, like you're waving off a, a waiter who's offering you another water. Just like, I'm, I'm good, you know. Uh and he walked up the steps, and that was that. And uh, I go down to the Cardinal Clubhouse to get post-game interviews, and I see Bobby Knight walk into Tony LaRusse's office, and I think we're all waiting around for Mark McGuire, which is something that was uh, a, a theme from 1997 through 2001 in St. Louis. And uh, and it's late on a Saturday night, so there aren't many reporters left. And Bobby Knight's sitting in LaRusse's office. LaRusse is not there. And I walk in, and I don't, I mean, again, I, I look back on this and I go, what a just dumb fuck. But that's what I was thinking. And I walk in and he sees me and he remembers me from, you know, 20 minutes earlier with the microphone. And now he sees me again. And now I see, I can see the one-tenth of a second of rage on his face. Like, oh my God, you're going to go again? And I said, coach. And I introduced myself, and I said, and again, this is it, it's a true story, so whatever. It's the, the, the truth of questions from the audience. I, and I was. And I, it's still in a, in a different perspective now. I'm a fan, and I know that you're going through some hell right now. I'm not asking for an interview. I just want to introduce myself and uh, express that, that I'm a fan, and I hope everything works out, um, which is not something I would do now mainly because I would, you know, now being 41, I wouldn't go up to somebody who I guess by definition I'm covering, even though I'm more of a talk show host than I am a reporter, and say I'm a fan, but I'm 22 and 23, I guess, uh, years old, and it's, you know, you're just not cognizant to some of that stuff at that point, being real transparent. Uh, and And when he hears that, he says, have a seat. And then the next five minutes, Bobby Knight, Knight just me and Bobby Knight, the topic of conversation both in news and sports throughout the country and we're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation in Tony LaRusse's office and I I still I still 18 years later it's like it's kind of like the rocket launchers outside of the, the Superdome I think to myself did that really happen it did really happen 
And, and he starts asking me questions about myself and like, how'd you get into this? And I, and I said, well, my mom actually went to Indiana. She was in theater in Indiana. So I looked at Indiana. He goes, you should have gone to Indiana. I said, well, I'm from Missouri and Missouri has the number one journalism school. And he goes, oh, journalism, don't give me that bullshit. And I'm like, yes, I got a little Bobby Knight here, right here, right now. Um, and I remember walking out of Bush Stadium that night. And I remember meeting up with friends at McGurk's actually. Why I remember this, I don't know. But I remember telling some of my friends about what just happened. And I remember wondering if because we had just bonded, in which, you know, we had a good conversation. And then LaRusa walked in and he saw me sitting there. And I know he, he had a look on his face like, what in the fuck are you doing at my office talking to Bobby Knight right now? But uh, when he saw that Coach Knight was conversing with me, I guess I was vouched for. But because we had bonded in some capacity, again, this wasn't like a 30-minute conversation, but a conversation, I wondered at, at the time, had I asked Coach Knight for the interview after the bonding, would he have done it? And at the time, I thought he really might have, and I was kicking myself. 18 years removed, there's not a doubt in my mind he would have said absolutely not to me asking for an interview. It wouldn't have changed it, and if anything, it would have ruined it. Um and it's weird how it's weird how time and experience gives you the answer. Like there's not a doubt in my mind that he would have said absolutely not and then looked at me like, you son of a bitch. I can't believe and now he would have felt like what was a genuine thought was actually a tactic. Um, when in reality it truly was a genuine thought. So those stand out to me. I guess when I auditioned um in New York at SNY in two thousand seven, and I remember walking out to the set um, and then the set over my shoulder was Radio City Music Hall because the set's like the Today Show set, uh, where they have like the street, you know, right there in the background at Sixth Avenue, and uh, and I remember walking out there and it just it, I had a, a moment of for real. I specifically remember thinking, how the hell did I get here? How in the hell did I get here? Not like, oh my God, I'm from South City and you know this isn't you know it's just like this is this is something else. This is. It didn't freak me out, fortunately, um, but I just remember—I remember thinking that is how how did how did this happen? Um, th- those those are the things that stand out. Like, how did this? Like, you know, like you don't get caught up anymore in interviewing at all. Like, like t- yesterday, uh, Keith Kachuk rolls in here. I guess he was going to be on uh, with Frank Cusimano and Martin Kilcoin and uh, the Cat and I and the Sea Monster were in the podcast studio and waltz outside waiting to get in and. Uh, go answer the door, and there he is, and we just start bullshitting, and he's got his son, Matthew, who plays for the Flames, obviously an up-and-coming NHL player, and we just start bullshitting about golf and giving each other trouble just like normal. And and I realize for uh, most people that would be an incredibly cool experience, uh, and like, holy shit, I just bullshit with Keith Kachuk and gave him shit about this and that and whatever, and he gave me shit. And that stuff uh, is now... I don't want to see you take it for granted. It's that's, that's, that's common in a sense, but there are still to this day experiences, still spring training. I think actually, uh, the, the fact that at this point, however many years we've been doing the show from spring training and that the Cardinals a allow us to do it. It's like, inevitably it's going to come to an end. Hell, this year could have been the last one. Who knows? I don't know. But the point is inevitably it's going to come to an end and no matter what I'll be able to say for like, 14 or 15 years for every, every February or March, 
me and, and the group of guys I did a show with sat there and screwed off outside the Cardinal Clubhouse for a week, got paid to do it in Florida with the Cardinals. I mean, that you just you don't take that stuff for granted. That stuff that that stuff is just so. From that standpoint, uh, I still would caution people on getting into the business because I haven't gotten into the horror stories of the business. Uh, and for as much as we've talked about that, trust me, there are plenty that I've just kept uh, internal because we're not going to violate the Omerta unless somebody wants to, uh, to to violate it on their end, and then we'll have to set the record straight. But, uh, but yeah, there have been some incredibly cool experiences. So you triggered my memory, and uh, hopefully I provided some good answers. And I'm, I'm telling you something, I'll get done recording, and I'll go, oh, my God, how would I leave out this or that? But uh, those are the ones that stand out to me. All right, let's go to the uh, fan page for our next question. Now, somebody uh, asked this question and it, uh, the question was thoughts on the backlash Anna Kendrick got after mentioning that she watches free porn. Any idea what she was thinking on the majority of the movies she's done outside of Pitch Perfect? And I don't know. I don't know what the question. I don't know if the question is was she scolded because she watches porn, or was she scolded because she doesn't pay for her porn? But either way, the gentleman who asked the question, I said, is there an article or do you, is, is, is this, you know, was, was a doctor commenting with somebody of note in, in, in either Hollywood or the adult industry critiquing her? Or was this what I feel like the 24 hour news cycle is now filled with, which is here is story and here are screenshots of people with 50 followers uh, in a dog avatar and this is their outrage in response. And now we're going to go to the panel and discuss outrage from randoms on social media. Because if that's what it is, I don't want to participate in it. I don't want to add fuel to the fire, even though I know that that is a quote-unquote winning strategy for radio shows and podcasts right now is to engage by outrage. Uh, so I don't I don't know, but I asked the gentleman and he said uh, that it was uh, more more Twitter outrage. And so from that standpoint, I'm not really interested in, in, but I don't know. I don't, I, I don't even know. I don't know if it would be, oh, how can you watch porn? And if she's getting scolded for that, or if it's that, that, that she watches free porn, that, that just shows how diverse my, 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 my world is on Twitter. And that I truly think that there's a, because I know in the porn world, the porn people will scold people for watching free porn. So was she getting scolded for that? My guess is no. My guess is she was getting scolded for watching porn. And you had social conservatives saying, how dare you watch porn? I have kids who look up to you. Uh, you would have uh, women uh, scolding her for watching porn because they find it to be degrading. Uh, that would be my that's what my guess is on it. But again, if it's Twitter outrage, not like somebody in an industry with credibility commenting on it, then I don't want to feed the outrage machine. Uh, going to Vegas before having a child versus now having a son. Anything you do differently or things you did before, you won't do now. But so besides avoiding that sauna room like the plague, yeah, that's in reference to the unfortunate incident I witnessed at the plot. So, uh, sauna where two gentlemen were engaging in uh, mutual uh, when I walked in, and uh, and then unfortunately I saw them walk out. Uh, and I would describe them both as most likely uh, fathers in their fifties. That's 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 what I would describe. So uh, 
yeah, I will avoid uh, that. That goes without saying. That's burned into my memory. I'm not sure. Here's the honest answer. I'm not sure we're going to go to Las Vegas. And here's the reason. It goes back to your question. And that's because our son is sick. Um, Anna Marie, and I, and this, I told Doug about this, Doug Vaughn from the Ryan Kelly Morning After, for those of you who just listened to the podcast, uh, about this and how, like, yeah, on yesterday's radio show, I was totally, not totally, but I was disengaged because I was so concerned about my son. Anna Marie told me that she walked in. He's uh, he's nine months today. He's nine months old today. And uh, she walked in to his nursery, and in his crib, he was covered in vomit. And like, like, as in not like baby spit up, which anybody who's had a kid knows the difference between that and actual like human adult human vomit covered in vomit. He'd been coughing for a few days. His eyes had looked glassy and, you know, we knew he was sick, but we didn't know that. And then she was just heartbroken to walk in and see her baby just, you know, covered in vomit. Does he, and of course he doesn't know any better. So he's just lying in it. And it just it tore her up. And I told Doug the story and he goes, oh, yeah, that'll happen. And I'm just like, there, there's the difference between the seasoned veteran who has kids ranging from, I think, age like around 30 to age 22. And here's me uh, with an eight with a nine month old now uh, and how it like tore me up. But either way, he's sick. And so because he's sick, we might not go to Las Vegas. Uh, and I have been communicating with Ryan Reeves. Uh, who, by the time uh, you listen to this, uh, you might know who he is playing in the Stanley Cup Finals, but he's with the the Vegas Golden Knights and had the the game-winning goal in the Western Conference Finals against Winnipeg. Uh, Great guy. And I have an interview with Brent Musburger set up uh, on the Supreme Court ruling on sports gambling. Now, I, of course, can do these things uh, from home, but from the studios here. But, um, you know, Anna Marie and I haven't taken a trip since Jameson's been born, and we were hoping to go out. We've been to Memorial Day weekend out there forever, and we're just going to try and go for a quick trip as opposed to, and so we're not sure. So that, I mean, that's, but that's that's the nature of the beast. And the trade off is now we have a son, and I wouldn't trade him for uh, the, the ability to go back to Las Vegas and just sit in poker rooms and play golf whenever, as great as that was. Uh, fortunately I was able to do it a lot. And so it kind of got to a point, you know, where it was kind of like, yeah, this has been fun, but I'm kind of ready to, to move on. So the baby thing is such a big factor that the baby thing will probably keep us from, from going. Uh, although it is not a hundred percent sure on that. Uh, let's see. Uh, for those of us who haven't been in town for a long time, can you break down the Albert Pujols history? I, I don't, like, do you want me to go through his career? Or are you talking about the Albert Pujols? And I realize this is rhetorical because the person asking the question uh, is not here to answer. But uh, the the Albert Pujols, uh, I guess, threat of litigation, which uh, took place nearly five years ago. And a lot of people understandably want to, want me to talk about that. So I'll talk about it in this sense because I want to answer the question. Uh I can't talk about it. And by that, I mean, I guess I probably could, but the attorneys involved in that would go, yeah, that, that thing, let the sleeping dog lie. Um, you know, it was, I'll I'll say this, uh, a lot of things that were said throughout that were just flat out false. And, and because I went through that and by that, I mean, things that were said about me and things that, that happened during that, uh, that story. Um, and it was, it was, is 
is traumatic as can be. And there were so many other things, so many, but there were other couple big things going on that, that were not public in my life at the time. Uh, and with the business at the time that made it, that were actually, I remember talking to somebody about it and going, you know, as bad as the pool thing is, is nothing in comparison to this particular part right now. Uh, but that, you know, wasn't just like any, just like most other people, they have a personal or professional situation and it's not covered in the newspaper. And ideally when, when your job is written about, uh, in the newspaper, you know, you're going to have to take social media stuff and people making things up because they don't like you, uh, or they don't know any better and they're not doing it with any malice that that's, you know, you don't like it, but you, that that's kind of like the price of admission. Uh, but when somebody's covering something, you would hope that, you know, and there were just things that were just like, you know, just, I mean, they were so obviously inaccurate that I'm surprised they even got into the newspaper. Just if if you have any semblance of an idea of how like a business would operate, but whatever, either way, uh, it was, it was brutal. Uh, you know, maybe at some point I would talk about it. Um, but it, you know, there's just like, like I said, there's just no, I mean, there's no, there's no upside. So if that's the question, which I assume it is, because I mean, why would you need me to give you Albert Pujols? He came up with the Cardinals in 2001. He hit a home run in Colorado. I happened to be there for his first home run and, Cardinals lost to Mike Hampton, um, and then he went on to play great. I, I, so I imagine that's what the question is, um, and I understand it. I, I know a lot of people want, you know, because I think people can sense that there's a lot to that that wasn't ever made public because that's how I try to operate uh, when something comes up and there's very little upside to getting involved in a public spat. Uh, and I never spoke about it, which was not a coincidence. Uh, that was a strategy. But, uh, you know, you know, here's, I said this on the Ryan Kelly morning after today. It ha- happened to come up. So I'll say it again. I was advised at that time, and this wasn't by attorneys. Uh, this was by Bert Kaufman, who owns still WGNU 920. And I said, I said, I got this, I got this person saying this, and it's just, we know that's wrong. We know it's a, that's a blatant lie. And then this is being printed, and it's, it's like, it's like, how can that even be put out there? Uh, and he just calmly, and I think, I don't know how old he was, but he, I, I would imagine around 80, he said, I've been around, I've seen a lot, and my advice to you is don't spend a second on somebody who you know is just going to lie, and don't spend a second on something that has no upside. And I go, for whatever reason, that was a moment of clarity and five years removed from it. It's something that I've kind of still used. I tried to, don't get me wrong. I'm sure I've failed, but, uh, for the most part. So, you know, maybe at some point, I don't know. The, 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 the fact actually is that the story isn't that fascinating. The story would probably be a big letdown. Uh, I guess the, the, what would be fascinating is what was put out there versus what actually happened. But, you know, whatever. It, it, I can tell you this. It was brutal. That's, that's, that's the summary. Uh, any tips on getting a baby to sleep through the night? We're four months in and he still wakes up like the Dickens. Um, I cannot sit here as a parenting expert. That There'd be no way. First off, it seems like every baby is different. Our baby will now go to sleep. Uh, around nine and, and Anna Marie, I was just texting with her just now, said she had to go in and get him up at nine forty five. So he's sleeping throughout the night, but it was not that way. One thing I would say, this is where I can give pro tips. I never want to do the, Oh, it, 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 hold on to it. Cause it goes so fast. And Oh, you know, th- th- these kind of what I feel like are in, 
maybe have pure intention comments that f- parents say to first time parents, other first time to other first time parents. I never want to do that. Never want to do that. Or, oh, your life's about to change. It's like that. Like, kind of like, oh, I've been there and you haven't. Get ready, motherfucker. I never want to do that. Um, so, but if I can speak to something, because, like, obviously your life's going to change. Like, I mean, what are you, fucking idiot? So, here, here's what I can say, because I've, I've been there. Jameson wouldn't sleep. And you never want your baby crying. You don't want your baby crying because you don't want your baby crying, but you don't want your baby crying because it also is just one of the most grating sounds in the world. So you have two reasons. And so we put him in bed with us in this little thing called a docatot, and he would fall asleep. But then what you're doing is you're creating a habit that you're inevitably going to have to break, and you're going to have to break soon. And so while it will be tempting to have the short-term reward of getting him or her to sleep, you will pay for it within the next couple of months. So heads up. Here is something that I will say, though. We hired a sleep specialist. Now, they called night nurses, sleep specialists, whatever the case might be. And I remember thinking, yeah, this is going to work because my friend had used this uh, lady uh, for all of his children. And I respect my friend quite a bit, so I know he's not going to just hire anybody. And Anna Marie was actually surprised, like, after the second night that it worked. And I'm just like, well, of course. I mean, it's just all part of a process. I mean, it's... You know, babies, they'll have different sleep patterns, but when it gets down to it, the tactics to get something accomplished, you know, they're going to work. And uh, so I would recommend the sleep specialist. Yeah, it's going to cost some money. Uh, Again, some people are hypersensitive about money. This isn't a brag. But I think we had her over maybe a total of five or six nights, and I think it was like in the 800 to 1,000 range um, to give you an idea. Uh, and as Anna Marie said, and I said, because there's plenty of times where I like, even like I'm spending a hundred dollars on something. I go, God, that wasn't even close to worth it, but whatever, the money's gone now. That $800 was worth every cent. So that would be my official recommendation. But I think the baby has to get to a certain weight before you can, uh, before you can, uh, hire a sleep specialist and start using certain tactics. I think, I don't know, but that would be my official recommendation. Uh, this question, where do you see the show in two years? Where do you see the show in five years? Uh, the all, the answer is always, I don't know. I If you would have said to me in 2004 that we would be doing this in 2018, I would have just, like, laughed at you. Um, so, you know, I don't, I mean, I love doing the show. I hate some of the things that come with it, most of which those of you listening are unaware of. That is also that's probably one of the reasons why the show has lasted for 14 years is because we don't go running to social media or the newspaper anytime our feelings get hurt and bitch and moan. Uh, that's probably one of the reasons why the thing has has lasted because there's some maturity amongst uh, you know and we've we've stuck together throughout some really negative shit, but the negative shit wears on you. Um, so. You know, the honest the honest answer is I, I truly don't know. Um, and and, and here is inevitably, of course, it's going to end um, or it's going to change in the, in the form of, you know, who is on it. That's that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, the show that started three or two of the four people who are on the show, if you want to include the great Stedman, the board operator, three of the five are not on the show. I mean, it was Martin Kilcoin, producer Joe, and then the cat and me. Um, and I remember in October of 2006 when Martin announced he was leaving the show, people said, oh, the show is over. 
and it's over. And then there was anger, and there was anger toward me and the cat, even though we had nothing to do with it, uh, you know, that, that the show had changed because Martin's not on it. And Martin is so talented, just like everybody associated with it, brings their own unique talent to the, the show, that the show had understandably changed. And so what I always had said before any of the three of us left, I said, whoever leaves first will be canonized as the key to the show. Why? Because the show is going to change materially. And therefore, uh, it'll be like, oh, well, the show is totally different now. So the key was whoever, whether it been the cat, whether it been me, whether it been Martin. But I also knew from working with Doug at KMOV for five years how funny Doug was. And Doug had auditioned when we were supposedly doing auditions for replacing Martin and Doug fit in right away. Uh, so I knew that that was going to be a solution, but I also th- thought Chris Pelican did too. So what we weren't all in on Doug. And so when people ask about the show and the future of the show, like I said, inevitably, and I don't know if it'll be me. I don't know if it'll be Doug. I don't know if it'll be the cat. Uh, I really don't. I really don't. Um, but whoever, if if one leaves, there will be an immediate, oh, that's the end of the show. And I would tell you that that is not necessarily the case. Um, but I but I mean, it doesn't matter if I tell that, that I know I'll read it and I know I'll hear it and it doesn't change it. But I'm just telling you I've actually lived it and it wasn't the case then and it wouldn't necessarily be the case now. You know, I mean, is Doug looking to do this for another 10 years? I don't think so, but I don't know. Um, you know, at this point, I used to think the cat was probably going to move. And now at this point, the cat, if anything, I think the cat, I'm more certain that the cat will be living in St. Louis in 10 years than anybody on the show. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that, that has changed over time and I love doing the show. I absolutely love doing the show. So, you know, if somebody said you can do this for another 25 years and I'm 41, I'd be like, I am all in, but my co-hosts are, you know, Doug's 20 years older than me and the cat's, I guess, 13 or 14 years older than me. So, I mean, things are, things are going to inevitably change. Uh, the one thing I would ask is that when they do, try not to get angry at people because things just change. Like Martin had enough. Uh, and now, don't get me wrong, there were extenuating circumstances that led to Martin uh, having enough, but it wasn't all because of uh, Jason Barrett. You know, he, he was anchoring television late at night and then getting up at, I don't even know what time, five thirty, six o'clock in the morning to go do a radio show and then working till 11 or 11.30. I mean, that that, that can wear you down. Uh, and then Jason Barrett caught hell, you know, for it. And, and, you know, and, 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 you know, don't get me wrong, the way that things were handled were not, I think Jason would say they weren't handled well, but, uh, you know, and then, then the cat and I paid for things that we had nothing to do with because the audience is pissed, but it's, there's nothing that we can do about it. it sometimes this stuff happens. Um, so, I mean, what do I think would, where do I think it'll be in two years? I would be surprised if you don't have me, Doug and the cat doing the show, I would be surprised. Uh, in five years, I don't know on that one. Uh, I, and again, it just comes down to math. But, you know, if if I had it my way, I would love to keep doing it. But again, you know, something that I made reference to earlier um, is there are things that go on and have gone on throughout this thing that, you know, when you think about them, 
Um, and like I said, and then maybe, you know, I don't know. It, it, so the reason why I don't talk about them in detail is because they, they, they're embarrassing to people, uh, you know, to, to go into like, this guy made this decision. I mean, everybody knows about the 590, the man, 1380, the woman thing. And it was so bad and it was handled like so comedically bad that, that that's like a safe joke. But there are plenty of other bad business decisions and or treatments of people uh, that have gone on throughout this thing that aren't public because Doug and the cat and Martin are professionals uh, and don't go, like I said, running to social media or the newspaper uh, with, with every slight uh, because we are aware of how the game is played and prospective employers and radio stations aren't interested in hiring the guy who's the shit disturber in the newspaper or has a rap sheet or something like that. Uh, or on social media, fancies himself or herself a, a god or goddess in the business. So, like I said, there's been so much. And I remember having this conversation in 2006 or seven, and with, with one of the people at the station saying, God, if we made this stuff public, people would think we're making it up. They wouldn't believe it. But yet we all know it's true. This stuff is actually happening. And that was in 2006. That was before the man and woman thing, you know. That was before the Albert Pujols thing. That was before plenty of things. And so the reason I say all that stuff is at some point, a kind of kind of becomes an enough is enough. Uh, whereas, like, am I really looking to, okay, um, let's, let's start up another radio station again and go through that process. I, I don't think I have the appetite for it. Um, so, you know, th- that's why I say I don't know. I think if you said to me, Doug and the cat right now, would you like to be doing this two years from now and you can just do the show and you won't be dealing with any of the, the stuff that you guys have dealt with over the 14 years for me and the cat and the 10, 11 years for Doug. I think we would all say, absolutely. I think so. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but again, there are factors that you never know. And that's the stuff, which leads to this question, which was, which was interesting. Um, I've heard you briefly mention TMA going to only podcast recently. I think it would be great because I literally only listen on air for my five-minute commute to work in the morning. Hashtag blessed, uh, he writes. Could you explain the pros and cons of going off the air and only to podcast form? Well, to be clear, I haven't talked about like, hey, I'm thinking about, because I'm not. I'm under contract through 2021. That's not on the table. Um, I, I more talk about podcasts becoming more and more mainstream. Like, for example, my father, um, who is 70 years old, he has now become Mr. Podcast, and he loves listening to the podcast. Because before, I'm like, yeah, it's on a podcast. Goes, Timmy, I don't understand that shit. I turn on the radio, and that's how I listen. And I showed him. I said, here's how easy it is. I'm like, I press one button on his phone. I press another button. On his, now he's listening. And this morning, this morning, like at 6.50 or something, he texted me. He goes, just got done listening to the Rennie Knott interview. What a great guy he is. I love these podcasts. They make my workouts go so much quicker. And I'm like, God bless that. And that's the thing. If you are, if you're not podcasting yet, you're well behind the curve. Now I'm not saying that to mock. I'm just saying, I think once you do, it's kind of like Netflix for audio. That's, that's been my analogy. And you're controlling what you listen to and getting it on demand. So these days, when we look at the text inbox, the text of, God, I can't believe you guys are talking about that, you know, like somebody wants to hear about the Blues game last night and we're not talking about it and they're pissed off 
it's like, okay, I mean, the same principle as always, you're welcome to listen somewhere else. Uh, I would imagine there's a good chance 101 ESPN is talking about it. I don't know. But then there are hockey podcasts, and you can get it there. Or there's NHL on SiriusXM. There are all these options, so you can have the content you want. And so that, it's kind of like back in the day when I started at KFNS, one of the things that you used to hear, oh, I can't, I can't get the signal. I can't get the signal. I never hear that now. I never hear that now. Why? Because so many people are listening through their phones. And live streaming, which was kind of like, oh, how do you do this, is now so mainstream. And so our podcast, you go in, whether it be at work or whether it be on your phone and you're driving or you're working out or you're hitting golf balls somewhere. That's what I do. I'm hitting golf balls or I'm working out. I'm listening to podcasts. Uh, And if there's a segment on a radio show I want to hear, well, then I'll go back and listen to it. It has incredible. It can't be duplicating. It can't be. It can't duplicate live coverage, which is why sports is in a great position because you can't duplicate that content. But the music industry, uh, as far as radio stations that play music, I don't know what they're going to do over the next few years because it, it, they're becoming obsolete. Now you're still going to have an age range that isn't going to adapt to Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, whatever, uh, and so they'll be safe in that capacity. But otherwise. The, the, the content is the thing that will make you stand out. And if you're just doing, you know, like, yeah, the Cardinals lost last night. Boy, how about that, Matheny? How about Greg Holland? Well, any asshat can do that. So it's it's the content that's transferred. So it's like when we switch radio stations, that used to be a huge thing. I don't even know how many times we've done it now. It doesn't matter because the audience will follow. So it's the content that wins, that's what matters. So if and when... The time comes, you ask about the drawbacks of podcasts. Right now, if we were only on a podcast, which is not on the table, uh, like I said, I'm under contract uh, for, I don't even know how many more years, three, four years. So that's, we're not talking about it. But if we were to right now, the, here's the issue. Let's say that the radio advertising generates X amount of dollars, okay? Let's let, just for a round number, let's say a million dollars. Just it's, it's an easy number. We'll, we'll operate off as opposed to me starting doing algebra with X's and Y's and Z's. Okay, let's call it a million dollars. If we were to go to podcast only and not be on the radio, I'm asking rhetorically, but how much of that one million would the show be able to keep by only being on podcast? Now, I can't tell you with certainty that it would be less than, but my experience would tell me that it would be less than. And therefore, it is not the right business model at this time. It's not to say that it wouldn't be viable, but it is to say that I don't believe at this time it would generate as much revenue as radio. But I believe that that is with every passing day shifting. Uh, if you read trades on ad agencies and radio and podcasts and how many companies now are spending dollars on podcasts, that's where it is going. Um, so that is that's what I mean when I talk about that. Uh, I think some rate like these companies that own big, big uh, numbers of radio stations. I don't know how they're going to handle that here. I mean, if you monitor the trades again, like what's going on with some companies, um, you know, if, if you see an asset or an industry in, in a changing shape, how do you handle that when the time comes to sell? Do you try to sell now because you think it's going to decline or do you 
you hold on and then see if you can monetize the digital content and put it under your umbrella with the radio station. That's what I personally would do at this moment. But where will things be in 2023? And honestly, I don't know. But it's important to be seeing that and not assuming that everything is going to remain the way it is because it clearly is not. It's changing so, so rapidly. Uh, Let's see. I want to try and answer as many as I possibly can. Uh, one more from the email because I don't, I don't spend enough time in the emails and I get these emails. Um, you've mentioned the origins of your television career, but how did you get started in radio? Thanks, Scott from the Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, I was doing TV at KMOV. Uh, Dave Green was working with Jay Randolph Jr. and Rich Gould on the morning show on KFNS. And Dave wanted to get into sales and management and, uh, I, I I don't know at what point or why. That's certainly what he's doing now, and he's very, very good at it. Uh, but uh, that opened the door for a spot. Uh, they had me in. I guess it went well. And it was me, Jay, and Rich. This was June of 2002. Uh, and I remember like a week later, Jack Buck died. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm on the radio with Daryl Kyle and Jack Buck. And I'm on the radio for like a week that's still you know, is, is one of the most unfortunately tragic, uh, it's redundant, tragic weeks in St. Louis sports history. Um, and just, what, nine months earlier, those three guys had been on the air live during September 11th, which I know Jay has talked about quite a bit. Uh, so that's who I worked with initially. Then Rich left, Scott Warman came in. Uh, so it was Scott Warman, Jay Randolph Jr., and me, uh, that only lasted a couple months because I was, just like what I was talking about with Martin earlier, I was fading fast with working seven days a week, doing TV and radio and getting up super early. And so Rob Fisher, who was working with Frank Cusimano, who now works in Memphis, he left, I think, to go to Memphis. Uh, and he's now the sideline reporter for the Memphis Grizzlies. And um, I moved to Frank, mainly for the schedule. Um, and so I did the show with Frank from nine to 11 was the time slot. And then when Frank would travel, I would have Martin and the cat come in as, uh, fill in co-hosts with me. And that, when they would fill in, we, we changed the name from the press box to the sandbox because we were playing around like clowns, but it got really popular. A new ownership group came in in 2004 and, they came to us and said, we've heard this show you guys do when Frank's out of town. We want that to be our new morning drive show when we buy the station. And I'm like, sweet. It's great. I'm I'm in. And then they talked about the dollars they were going to pay. And I'm like, really sweet because now I can leave TV. I don't really like TV that much. Uh, and that's how it all came to pass. So that's how the morning grind was born. The morning grind was actually born in Frank Cusimano's time slot. As the uh, as the sandbox when we changed it from the press box when Frank would be out of town. That is how it all came to pass. And immediately, even when I wasn't doing the morning grind, uh, because I was having such bad sleep problems and I went and saw a sleep doctor about it. And I remember her telling me, you're going to have to quit one TV or radio. And I remember at the time I was making maybe, oh, 66 percent of my salary uh, was radio. Um, I'm uh, let's whatever my point is. If, if I was, let's say I was making a million dollars from television, all right, we're going back to these fake numbers, million dollars from television, which of course wasn't even remotely close, but let's just use that as a round number. 
million dollars from television. Uh, I was making sixty five thousand or six hundred fifty thousand, I should say, from radio. And then when these guys came in and made us the morning drive show, I was now making let's call it almost two million from doing radio. So uh, I, I preferred to do radio, even though she said, "What would you rather do?" And I'm like, well, "I'd rather do radio, but I make more doing TV." Well, when that changed, that allowed me to leave television, which. I have since never really had a real desire to get back into love the freedom of radio. Renny not said that in the podcast that we were, uh, that my dad was referencing when he texted me. So, um, he loves the freedom of having three hours where you're not confined to like two or three minutes of a sports cast. Cause it really lacks for creativity. So anyway, there's the answer on that. All right. I think we covered a lot of questions from the audience. I hope, uh, it, uh, it satisfies and you're always welcome to email more at team McKernan at inside STL. Dot com. Thank you to Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert.com. Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, and James Carlton, State Farm Insurance Agent, 314-961-4800. That's 314-961-4800. Online at carltoninsurance.net. Uh, if your insurance costs you a leg and an arm, make sure you call James Carlton, State Farm. They do the whole process for you for switching over. And this guy knows the business, prides himself on the customer service of a phone call, never going to voicemail during business hours. That's why he's got seven people in the building with him to make sure that your questions are answered by a person immediately. How many businesses can say that? It's an old school mentality that I think a lot of people appreciate. 314-961-4800, James Carlton. Thank you to all the listeners for submitting questions. Thank you for listening in general, and we look forward to coming back with another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.